Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Nature Biotechnology's First Rounders podcast. I am the host, Brady Huggett, and our guest today is Colin Goddard. He was, well, he is the former CEO of OSI Pharmaceuticals. Uh, he joined the company in 1989 and held, I mean, various roles with the company until he finally ascended to the CEO position. And he was at the company through uh, the development and approval of Tarceva. And this was back when EGFR inhibitors were the new front in cancer care. Yeah, so the the conversation we touched on, the culture shock he felt when he left the UK and moved to the US, we touched on how OSI ha- managed to have that compound that became Tarceva. And we discussed um, small companies, why he, why he likes staying in touch with biotech through small companies now. So kindly listen up, and I will have more to say later. Here it is, your first Rounders podcast with Colin Goddard. So airport connectivity is actually pretty good. But so, I mean, you're running Coferon, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's a small company, right? It's really more of an exec chair role. It's yeah. I see. I, I, I decided I didn't want to go back and do a big company, so I'm ended up in a sort of three or four exec chair roles and a bunch of boards. Yeah. It's a, an eclectic pa- uh, palette, but it's fun. Yeah. I was I was mentioning so I there's a f- some information out there on you but not mm-hmm. as much as maybe I wanted so I was mm-hmm. doing internet research and you know there's another Colin Goddard there's a Colin Goddard at Columbine that's no no, no. Uh, Virginia Tech Virginia Tech I yeah. knew it's one of those two yes, yes right yeah yeah I kept coming up with him I'm like that's not a that's not the background <laughs> I was looking for yeah. <laughs> yes. he's a survivor and he's uh, uh, and he's he's been very, advocate for gun control yes very yeah. very active proponent of gun control yeah. good yeah. for him yeah um, well anyway so. Uh, what are you in New York for today, then, if you're you know, basically living in? Uh, just a meeting. Just uh, I've got, uh, uh, of all things, uh, uh, I got talked into uh, the Astom Alumni Association from the UK uh-huh. trying to do some work in the US, and I said I'd help them locally. Uh, so I'm going to do that tonight. So, right. Okay. But, so that, uh, that's, that's a good, good way to lead into this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not American by birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you grew up in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know where that was, actually. Yeah, I grew up just west of London, a little place called Bracknell. Mm-hmm. And um, really most of the time focused on sport. I was a runner, I was a soccer player, and uh, went off to university, did biochemistry. And 
actually at the end of my biochemistry degree, went and had a pretty interesting uh, year um, running the as a student representative of the sports body as a whole. Uh, so learned actually quite a bit about business in that year, but a very, very good friend of mine uh, died of uh, glioma in a matter of months at the end of that time, a chap called ah. Barry Blinkensop. And uh, so got to one of those, well, maybe there's other things to do in life than play sport moments. And well, but this is after the, the biochem degree, right? After the biochem degree. So you were yeah. leaning towards science from the get-go. Uh, science training, right? Remember, in, in the UK, it's different to here. You don't take a generalized degree. You, you specialize from the beginning. Uh-huh. And, you know, back then, most kids left school, or most kids from my environment left school at 16. And um, my dad, wise that he was, said, if you're staying on, you're staying on to do something useful, do science. And um, and ended up there moving to uh, Birmingham, to Aston, to the cancer chemotherapy group there, uh, was actually a fantastic experience. In many respects, it, it was a big experiment. It was sponsored by the Cancer Research Campaign, one of the UK charities at the time. And it sort of was a discovery centre in a way. It had chemists, it had in vivo testing, it had biology, it had pharmacology. And out of that, we actually took a couple of molecules into the clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was the main focus of my degree, which was uh, mitazolamide. And the second, which I did a little bit of work on, ultimately became Temodar, a billion-dollar uh, drug. But what was, you know, I, I guess it didn't really strike me at the time, but in hindsight, looking back on it, it really was a prototype biotech company in another world, another yeah. era. This yeah. was 82, so it was pre-biotech really happening, yeah. certainly in Europe. Yeah. Uh, it was an incredibly dynamic, interactive uh, team environment, and uh, they did great things. Let me try to dial you back a little bit. Yep. You're uh, interested in soccer or football. Yep. Uh, you're 15, 16. Uh, all your mates are in the same interest. Yep. And they're leaving school mm-hmm. to, to go work someplace, I, mm-hmm. I assume, at this time. And you wanted to stay in school, and your dad said, okay, well, then study sciences. Yep. Or, you just sort of decided, well, the thing for me to do would be not to leave school yet. My, my education, yeah, my well, future. This was, this was uh, this in England at the time. I guess the equivalent of the public school system was divided between grammar schools and, and uh, comprehensive schools. Uh-huh. And comprehensive schools were sort of a tear down, perhaps. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wasn't stupid. Yeah. Um, I did very well in the exams and things like that. So there's a lot of encouragement to stay on. And then it's a question of staying on for what? You know? And so... Right. Uh, I like science, but also liked history and a lot of other things. So it ended up being science uh, uh, because of that. And then, but because of your friend, you said, "Well, now I'm going to make a career." Out well, of after this. that, went to university yeah. to be undergraduate, and after that, yes, yeah. then it, then it was hey, very vocational. Very uh, um, uh, this wasn't a, a a passionate love of science From biasing me to a scientific career. This was a a a um, an emotive. Uh, driven decision, hey, we ought to be able to do something about that. And actually, I think uh, that carries with me. It's carried with me all the way through, and I actually think I'm an incredibly lucky person to have been able to to, to run that journey um, and be associated with two drugs that became yeah. uh, very, very successful products, the one I mentioned, Tevedar, and, of course, Darceva. Um, but I also think it, 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 it it's, in some respects, it's a better basis when... You're in a company environment, right? So there's a lot, a lot of people work in the industry who are um, 
from an academic background mm-hmm. who are wonderful intellects and a tower of strength in a narrow area. And I never really had an interest in being that. What I wanted to do was to understand breadth and and really understand what it's going to take to shape all these talents and skills and expertise and, and make something happen. Right, bring them all together. Exactly right, yeah. And so the, the PhD was clinical pharmacology, is that right? Yeah, well, cancer pharmacology. Yeah, yeah we, we, I'm sorry. We did some, but, but we did some um, uh, crazy things in that era. We took drugs into the clinic in a, in a very um, enthusiastic manner. I guess these days it wouldn't happen the way it did in terms of the, you know, we, we did the manufacturing on, a, on site and, huh. uh, and things like this for these drugs. It was, uh, yeah, it's again, great, a great uh, lesson, a great experience in terms of teamwork, but also in terms of you have a problem, we've got to solve it. Yeah, and there really wasn't, I mean, the industry was actually just beginning. Fledgling, yeah. fledgling. I mean, I joined OSI in uh, 80, uh, 85, um, Sorry, no, uh, in 89, I'm 89, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, as, and, a, as a scientist. As a scientist. And, and when I joined the company, there was probably 20 people. Uh, and we had, um, we had a biologics group. We had huh. the beginnings of a small molecule discovery group. Uh, we had a small research products business. And we had the diagnostics divisions, <laughs> 20 people. So, you know, it was a very different era. It was the early stages of our industry and everything was possible. And, yeah, uh, right. And so let's jump back. Both you and your wife came to NCI? Yes, we did. Where yes. Did, you, did you meet in, a, in your PhD program? We, we met, uh, yeah, she came over uh, or came up to Birmingham uh, for an exchange for three months and met then. Yeah, she was a medicinal chemist. Yeah. Huh. How did you meet? Just in the lab, you know, and then she's a runner. We're just starting to run. Ah, so that was your first date, was, was yeah, it? Yeah, first date was, yeah, me trying to be a studly male runner, <laughs> showing her how to run and being foolish enough that uh, when, when I slowed down to run with her, I was male and told her so. Oh, uh, you said I'm... Fast forward 30 years, she's now really a serious, very competitive, very capable runner. So it's, uh, I guess, payback is the proverbial yeah, bitch, yeah. as they say. <laughs> well, it's surprising there was, there was a second date after that. Yeah. She, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then you, you guys were a couple, and you, you were both looking to come to the U.S., or did the NCI? Well, it's a nice story, actually. We had met uh, after we both independently applied ah. to the NCI. She was based at the Institute of Cancer Research down in London and had applied, and I'd applied, and, you know, we'd been dating a few months, and... We had that discussion. Well, you know, this is nice, but you need to know uh, I'm going to the U.S. Well, so am I. Ah, oh, that's great. Oh, I'm going to what? So am I. I'm going to the NCI. So am I. We ended up working a floor below each other. You know, obviously, thousands of scientists yeah, yeah. there in Building 37. And, uh, you know, again, all uh, it's one of those where maybe there is fate somewhere. You know yeah, know. right. So then you're both working at NCI independently but within a floor of each other. Did You got married someplace along there? We got married before we came over. Oh, we you did? Married, yep. Uh, married and uh, a month later came over. So, you know. We, it's a brand new world then. A brand new world. Actually, not a bad thing to do. You know, you sort of disconnect, move over somewhere um, out of reach of in-laws on both sides. Yeah. And uh, you just get on with it. <laughs> Had you been to the U.S. before? Uh, for my interview at NCI, the only time. Oh, really? So and it was brand new to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Was there any, um, was there any culture shock? You know, we're oh, big time. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, and remember, I was based up in Birmingham by then. Oh, that's and, right. And yeah. the second city was certainly then not uh, very international. Um, and, yeah, the, 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 I guess the, the biggest thing for me, well, the littlest things were, uh, you know, I grew up with what I guess is a working class 
South London accent um, and spent a lot of time being told, well, if you want to get on, you've got to learn to speak properly. And, and, I, arrived, and I arrived in the US and um, everyone said, wow, I love your accent. That's right. Life is good, right? <laughs> oh, you, but, you're yeah. saying when you before you left the yes, UK, they were yes. saying you have to learn to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yes. going to say. Yeah, yeah. And over here, it was. Oh, I love your accent. No, so they did a. Kind of yeah. I, I don't know who it was, but, but someone did a study, and I think this is for marketing purposes. Mm-hmm. But they realized that that um, if Americans hear an English accent, a British accent, mm-hmm. they trust that person more yep. than they. Yeah. So it's like a. It's it, a, it, it's, it uh, and um, it's always it's helpful in lots of ways, right? Because people also remember it. So, yeah. You know, you, you which is. There's lots of lots of aspects to that which um, um, haven't hurt us uh, at all and have been very uh, valuable to us. So that's one. Were there other big things that you had to sort of get accustomed to? Well, I think uh, so. In a scientific context, um, it was immediately evident you had this world of um, big ideas. There's lots of great science and, and, and great ideas in Europe as well, mm-hmm. but this belief that we can make them happen. Right, and and this belief that the problems are there to be solved, yeah. and uh, uh, that that cultural shift in the way, um, actually not just science, it it runs through society, right? Americana, perhaps less so now, unfortunately, than it was in in the mid eighties and late eighties, was a country of uh, believing anything was possible, right? And and that was a huge eye opener for. For me, uh, coming from the UK, where um, hey, look, I, I had a great childhood. I, I loved my childhood. I loved the way I grew up. Um, but clearly, there were still the vestiges of a class system in in the UK uh-huh. uh, uh, back then. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, the US used to do these things really well, things like manufacturing, mm-hmm. and we don't really do that anymore. Mm-hmm. What it does well still is entrepreneurship. Yep. The, the VC money is there. Yep. And the ability, like you, you mentioned, the thought that it can happen. If you put the money and the work in, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, but even that's evolved and, and evolved, as I guess, as an industry evolves. I think it's a natural evolution, perhaps more than, more than an emotive one. But uh, I think if you were to look at venture capital today is much more measured it's much more selective um, to some degree I think this last IPO window has been hugely valuable because for a long time VC uh, venture capital in biotech had tended to navigate more to a tactical um, you know, we'll take compound X at a preclinical or early clinical stage mm-hmm. and we'll look to flip it to pharma at the end of phase two um, and that created a gap, which I think is still there, to some degree at least, uh, to, okay, that's great, but how do you get from that very early idea and innovative stage uh, through to that opportunity where VC capitals, uh, venture capital is coming in? Um, I have to say the good thing about this IPO window is it's uh, allowed funds to raise a lot more money yeah. and allowed them, I suppose, to some degree... To rediscover the value of coming in early, so you look at the VCs, flagship, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. look at Atlas, and you look at the others, uh, Third Rock, um, uh, looking very much now in company formation and, and taking things uh, through from there. And I think that's very, very healthy uh, because it perhaps the pendulum had perhaps gone too far the other way uh, before, before yeah. this window. Yeah. How did you know you're in DC? You're at NCI. How mm-hmm. did you end up at OSI? So got to the end of my postdoc, uh, says 89, and started looking for jobs and uh, came up here and um, 
John Stevenson and, and, and Gordon Fawkes were running OSI and they interviewed there and uh, but know, you, I mean that's but that's not even in you know Manhattan how did you hear about the company were they looking to hire and you they were they were advertising and looking so it was the old-fashioned way you know, ah, so you found job, them and then, yeah, ah, and, I see. and then you okay. came in and uh, you, I, I, ultimately I was very attracted to going there I was interested in the science I was doing and so a continuity of that because a lot of the discovery programs were um, built around the oncogene uh, story because so I had applied to this discovery team in this small company that had, as I said, four different business units. Um, and that was an alliance with, with, with Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And Pfizer had gone into this with an absolute commitment. That they had no interest in uh, developing uh, next-generation cytotoxic drugs. They wanted to do the sort of kind of gentler medicines of... of uh, uh, target therapy and to their credit, yeah. to their credit, and it was a very uh, bold pioneering uh, move on their part. And so we had, we were very early entrants into into that space in terms of the type of work we were doing. And and I ended up having got there. Um, we we had these two crazy Austrians, very clever, very smart people, uh, friends like Fried and Christian Peeler, who had been developing these robots, and. Um, uh, the, the, the prototypes had been built. They weren't working particularly well. And um, um, they both upped and left for different reasons to go back to Austria. Uh-huh. And I think I was about the only person who, who, who knew how to turn a computer at the time. So this was landed <laughs> in my lap to solve. And, and actually that led me very much into the discovery end of the, of the journey as we... Uh, we actually made that work, great team effort. That's probably one of the fun things I did in my time uh, in research was having to teach uh, myself to program and then find people who could really program yeah, and put yeah. together a team that made this work. And and then we were uh, partnering that all over the industry, right? We had obviously Pfizer, but we also had um, collaborations with Herxt uh, and subsequently uh, and Mary Merodows and subsequently after the merger, HMR and yep. uh, Wyeth and uh, uh, so on. It was yep. uh, it was an interesting era. In, yeah, so let's talk, because you, yep. you held maybe, I don't know, eight titles or something on your way up the line there. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think uh, Gary uh, uh, bet on aptitude um, more than experience, which was huge credit to him, right? And, and let me... Um, just expand your role. To, yeah. Just get about enough rope to nearly hang myself. And <laughs> on the occasions I did, he would uh, be, be uh, generous in, in, in appropriately <laughs> navigating me out of that. Uh, so it was a good experience in that respect. I mean, I, I was, I, I think aptitude matters. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, I don't think I ever really felt I wanted to be an elite scientist. I really wanted to be the sort of shape and molder of teams yeah. and so forth and have the chance to uh, take a company forward. And, and um, when Gary uh, chose to retire, um, I think uh, it was an interesting time for us. Stock was a couple of bucks, market cap, I don't know, 50, 60 million, 40, 50 million maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, we were off Wall Street's radar. We were a service company doing screening and we needed to we needed to shake that up. Yeah, and, and that was that became the mission. And and when did when did Tarsiva come about then? So it already been discovered out of our screening program. That's a so, cool story. I mean, we did. Well, let's all do that. So yeah. OSI OSI discovered that drug. 
OSI discovered the leads, right? Okay. Obviously, um, you know, we'd, we'd had these screening programs. We uh, persuaded uh, Pfizer to run an EGFR screen. Actually, they got comfortable running it as a HER2 new screen uh-huh. control, which was okay. Um, got some interesting lead molecules out of it. Um, and one of the things, of course, that was an enormous strength, uh, probably still is an enormous strength of Pfizer, is their medicinal chemistry. And the lead optimization program, they ran the chemistry, we ran the biology, and out of that came uh, Tosiva. Um, and uh, we, I guess by the time, so 89, I'd taken over, uh, sorry, 90, 98, 99, I'd taken over, um, we started to navigate away from just these service type deals, but still had a relationship with Pfizer. It was coming to an end. They'd been very good to the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd been a long-term partner. But by then, it established a very strong uh, discovery group of their own in oncology. Right. And uh, it, it begun to take uh, uh, Tosiva, not called that, of course, then, into the clinic. Uh, on their own, or was uh, OSI was, a, was partnered with No, no, they, uh, we, were, we, were, uh, we were on the team, but it was a Pfizer clinical Pfizer, okay. uh, trial. And I think there, unfortunately, it exposed um, a little bit of, Pfizer's legacy that, of course, since learned a lot and built a fantastic oncology organization. But um, one of the major side effects of Tosiva, of course, it's an EGFR inhibitor, is the rash. Mm-hmm. And that brought this program to a shuddering halt for about a year, uh, um, which was, you know, I, I grew up with a background of cytotoxic drugs, and here they were this rash. And is it because they didn't know what to attribute the rash to, and it just? Well, I, I think maybe, but I think also uh, uh, go back to my comment earlier. They had a very idealistic view of why they were going into cancer That's right, at the time yeah. for these, you know, next generation drugs. So, um, and, and look, the, the rash we shouldn't trivialize the rash either. It's a, it can be a, a very discomforting uh, thing. Um, um, so. Uh, right bang in the middle of this, I guess we'd done a couple of things. We'd shed the diagnostics bit unit to focus on therapeutics, and we'd actually raised some money. The company had barely raised any money uh, since the IPO, and yep. we did a pipe deal uh, which um, uh, gave us $60 million, which became very, very important uh, because, of course, then Pfizer moved uh, to buy uh, Warner Lambert um, right before... Um, Lipitor, mm-hmm. and um, that was a hostile. Uh, if you, you I don't know, remember that. You don't yeah. remember that is, uh-huh. a, is an era uh, where hostiles were even more um, unusual than they are today. They've become, I guess, more prevalent. Uh, but uh, uh, Warner Lambert had buddied up to American Home Products to, to merge there, and Pfizer wasn't about to let that happen. They put a big bid on the table. Um, the FTC got involved as they do, and uh, Warner Lambert had an EGFR inhibitor. Um, uh, we were working with Pfizer uh-huh. on Tosiva. We had a royalty interest in that, um, and uh, the FTC dug in, uh, which was a little un- unusual. In that at the time, there was no um, no real, uh, there was no marketed EGFR inhibitor. Is this going where I think it's going? It's just going. It was an amazing story. Yeah, they, they forced the divestment? Well, we, we actually, uh, we had a lot of dialogue with the FTC. They were going to force the divestment. Huh. Uh, we said, well, look, if you're going to force the divestment, uh, we know this drug inside out and backwards. We're the right people to develop it, and you should you should bear that in mind as you work through that. Yeah. 
and and we felt we were the best partner uh, to do that if it wasn't going to be in the partnership with Pfizer and they clearly have made that uh, decision. What made it so interesting of course was um, while there wasn't a drug in the market this was, EGFR was the hot hot target at the time yeah. you, know, uh, you had uh, Sam uh, uh, Waxel and, and the whole story with Imclone right. you had AstraZeneca uh, just bringing Arresa along uh, people thought this was going to be the next great target after you know all the early data that was coming out on, on HER2 yep. and everything else um, so came back to us and um, you know I think I'm sure with all the other interviews you've done, a, a common theme in all of these journeys and all of these sagas is uh, Lady Luck needs to smile sometimes. Yeah, serendipity. And, and there was a lot of serendipity in that event, of course. But then the other half of that is, you know, uh, being prepared, right, and right. taking advantage. And uh, we we moved very, very quickly. Um, so wh- where was it right then? Was it in phase one yet? I've just gone into phase one and I think the first few patients had gone in on a phase two study and again Pfizer had been I think relatively disappointed with the early data um, at least the powers that be but having said that um, of course it's for them it was uh, you know, an entirely logical decision you've got a multi-billion dollar franchise in the making with Lipitor and you've got this phase two asset in oncology Um, and if that was what it took to get that deal done they of course made the right decision. Yeah even if they'd known what Tarsiva would become that was still still the right decision. Still would have been the right business decision for them. Devastating for this young and emerging oncology team at at Pfizer and and, you know you feel bad for, for them there they had great aspirations of where that could take that program but on a corporate sense, you know, you do that's it. a decision they yeah. made every day of the week, and it was the right decision, yeah. right? Uh, we had the drug. Um, you had it clear. You owned it outright. Well, yeah, because, you know, one of the discussions we'd had was, look, okay, great, uh, we can take it on, but um, if we're going to have to use all our cash to buy it... Um, how are we going to run these trials? How are we going to run these trials? Yeah. And in essence, it came back to us uh, that way, um, completely free and clear, uh, which was interesting because here's me, a, a young CEO, and the first reaction of the analysts well, was, well, there's got to be something fishy here. You know, how this, you got it, what do you mean you've got it for nothing? And, and, and I think it took us a while to persuade people that, yes, one, this is a good agent, and two, we could do something with it. Um, and, you know, I guess in 2000, we raised like $440 million dollars um, which gave us, of course, the horsepower to do that. Um, but by then also, um, while we had a pretty clear view of what we wanted to do with it, and we'd got some trial programs going, we'd already designed the BR21 study with um, uh, the folks at uh, the National Cancer Institute of Canada. We were sort of ready and raring to go, and yet we kind of knew that this was going to be a behemoth. There was incredible competition in this space and you know AZ were moving quickly one of the actually one of the tragedies of that delay I mentioned uh, uh, with Rash with Pfizer is yeah. that we'd gone to the clinic first and they'd overtaken us uh. Um, uh, but it was very competitive uh, and you know we had people knocking our door down to do a deal and ultimately um, the, the, the general view was we should we should partner it and we did the Genentech Roche deal so 
Uh, it was actually two separate agreements. So we had a Genentech agreement for U.S. rights and a Roche deal Roche for the ex yeah. US piece. And, um, you know, that was an interesting experience in, 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 many, in many respects because um, the Genentech view of developing that agent was all right, uh, more like a, a classic big pharma view uh, where we're running behind AZ, we need to match them so they wanted to run the frontline combination studies. Um, we certainly thought that the only data we had was responses in single agent. We should run a single agent study. So we dug in and ended up running the phase, uh, the third line study, second line, third line study that we're already uh, moving towards with the Canadian team. And uh, it was, of course, you know, just an incredible period of time because you know, a year and a half after this, probably not even that, um, AZ's frontline combination study for ERESA failed, which was a shock. I do remember that, yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were falling back on their fledgling uh, phase three data. And, um, of course, by then, everyone, you know, our stock took a dive because everyone assumed our frontline studies right. would fail. They did. Um, I do remember this. This was yeah. sort of the, the returning to earth of uh, EGFR, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, well, it was the first era of that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the EGFR story has been a, a learning curve all the way through, uh, because they, then sort of we, we were very much focused on the on the uh, obviously the second line, third line study, um, and we we were convinced. Just on what we're seeing, there's responses. There's a reason to believe we, we, we've got a, a good chance for a positive study. And I think the street didn't completely buy that. In fact, they didn't buy that much at all. We had some very important key investors who were in there with us. Huh. Uh, but as it got closer and closer to the BR21 data, there was a lot of People concern. Yeah. And, and um, of course, it you know it hit and the stock, I mean, it was a massive short squeeze day. I think the stock opened. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm in the 20s. 
peaked uh, over 100 and closed oh, in the 90s. And uh, That's a good day when you're the CEO. It's a, it's a good day yeah. when you're the CEO. Um, it actually, though, creates a little bit of a manacle to some degree, right? Because obviously one was an undervalue in, and, now. Uh, and one was an overvalue. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and actually it created one of those remarkable six-month periods for us because um, we had a lot of dialogue uh, with 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 FDA and they they this was the study that they wanted run we'd run it we got a positive result and this was lung cancer right this was lung cancer yeah. and this was a survival benefit in second yep. line third line lung cancer for a single agent study uh, people forget that that was that was a big deal right yep. but we're looking at this data set and we were completely uh, taken aback because um, this was the very very earliest uh, barely out there at the time the whole EGFR mutation story. And I think most of us have gone into it thinking that this would be like HER2, where there will be a correlation between overexpression and outcome. Mm -hmm. We couldn't see a correlation between overexpression and outcome. And I think uh, clearly other things were going on. Um, uh, to this day, I will tell you, we, I certainly remain of the belief that um, uh, there's a modest benefit for EGFR expressing uh, lung cancer tumors for Tarsiva, clearly there's a more dramatic benefit with the mutant subpopulation. And actually, we did some work much later on. I did a little bit of work where we went back and modeled what would have happened if we'd gone the other way. And probably the product would have been about the same size, mm. you know. Uh, but um, it, 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 it worked out okay. But so the thing I've been, um, the data came out, we did all this subset analysis. Uh, FDA wanted it in the label. The label came out. We presented it at ASCO. And there was a bit of a, well, that's a surprise. What do you mean? It didn't work in the EGFR negative. But, um, um, and, and, and actually, the stock began to fall off over the summer. And one of the things that was going on is that um, uh, AZ uh, had uh, also run a, or started a, a, a BR21-like study of their own for ERESA. And everyone and their uncle on the street thought, well, if if that's the case, um, they're going to succeed as well. Mm -hmm. Now, they're actually somewhat different agents in the way they behave. Uh, so, for example, I think PK is a little different. You see a little more rash with Tarsiva. You see a little more GI tox with Aressa. Um, and uh, they, they, I think it was, I don't know, it must have been... November, just before November, September, October, maybe, uh, AZ announced that their study was going quicker than anticipated and the data was going to come out sooner than anticipated. And that tanked our stock again because everyone said, well, you're not going to have enough time to entrench in the market, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Good logical reasons. Yeah. Um, and, and then <laughs> uh, I remember very well, um, I, I, by the way, uh, was convinced we were going to do better uh, than the Arrested based on the data. Um, I, I, I know that conviction may be equal parts uh, true believer and uh, scientific analysis, but right. it was there. Um, and we got hit by all these class action lawsuits. You know, the stock had gone up in a day to 90. Oh, yeah. It comes down, it comes down, it yeah. comes down. Um, they got the Arrested announcement and... Um, 
So all these class action lawsuits are filed. What do you do with that? I've actually wondered what happens inside the company when that happens. Well, well we do what you need to do. Right? You quickly just get everything, uh, you uh, put a hold on all the information, get the lawyer, law firms engaged and, and start what's always a long, drawn-out journey because these, these guys are just it's a tax, right? It's there's like no ambulance real, chasing. There's yeah. no real – we were pretty comfortable with disclosure. We were pretty comfortable with uh, what was going to happen. But the stock had then come down, all right? So – uh, no sooner they they I think it was I don't know, I, uh, the, the evening after uh, these suits hit I was talking to the board about well we're gonna have to deal with this the very next morning uh, AstraZeneca announced that Aresa had failed in their study and the stock went all the way back <laughs> up to where it had been before um, but unfortunately we uh, that, those those suits never quite go away. Uh, uh, you still have to settle them, I guess. Did uh, you settle? Well, we, we got literally not for hardly for anything. But at the end of the day, it was going to be more costly to fight it than sell it. And they yeah. ended up selling, yeah. uh, settling, which I wasn't a huge fan of. But I understand it. And really, at the end of the day, uh, management teams don't want to be uh, distracted with this stuff. Right. And the board, I think, was very wise in uh, guiding this tempestuous young CEO to a more pragmatic and logical right, decision. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, so that, that becomes the calling card for, for OSI. I mean, in basically the history of OSI, that, that drug is, is those two things are linked forever. Uh, I'm trying to think. So we'll, we can jump to, you know, so you're a public company now yep. and your stock is, you have a drug on the market, revenue's coming in. And the next thing, of course, is where, where's the growth going to be yep. after that? Yep. And, and that, in the history of biotech, has forced a lot of... Um, I'm going to say bad decisions, but it forced a lot of decisions. Well, it's, it's a really difficult dilemma because obviously there's a window where um, uh, the street wants profitability, right? And they want to see a real company emerge. Um, usually launches never quite meet aspirational yep. targets on the revenue side. Um, and almost always there's an insufficient pipeline behind, behind it. Yeah. Right? So you're forced into then uh, thinking about, okay, what do I do if I massively jack up my R&D spend? Well, generally speaking, people don't like that. Yep. Um, or do we go, do you go explore M&A or do you explore A, you know, get yourself acquired? And I, 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 I still to this day believe and believe very much then that going to look to get yourself bought is not a strategy. It, it's an outcome, mm-hmm. and, and it's an outcome that's best best established, if you will, by looking to build, looking to create value, and quite frankly, also there's an element of the reluctant pride syndrome in, in, yeah. in if you wanted to maximise value. You don't. I really go back to the discussion earlier. We talked about the VCs of a few years ago yeah. and a lot of flips. Mm-hmm. For me, looking to do a deal by some way, shape, or means lowers value, right, as distinct from the deal coming to you. Right. You're saying if you're yep. going out and looking to get acquired, that, all, that automatically puts you at a lower price point. Yeah, it also affects the dynamics in the company. Mm-hmm. It affects the dynamics and the way the board looks at risk and opportunity to grow the company. So I always felt that the right thing to try to do was build. Um, you know, we, we did some good things and some bad things. And, uh, you know... Uh, well, let's, let's talk. So we did sure. some... You, you bought um, a couple of compounds, I think, from Gilead for maybe $200 million, something like that. Well, that that was during the development period. So one of the things we did was we used acquisitions to help building capabilities. So we didn't have 
a clinical development team as such. And we were basically taking on more and more of the development responsibilities. Yeah. So the Gilead deal, we kind of liked the molecules. They were traditional cytotoxins. They had this small group in Boulder, um, which Nicola Neto was running. She's a super uh, uh, clinical oncologist, old school, uh, but very, very good at what she did. And she had this great little team. Um, we sort of looked at that as, okay, uh, we, we have some clinical compounds, relatively high risk, but all these are in difficult disease areas. They all are. Um, it's oncology. We're, we're oncology. We're oncology. And it's a fantastically talented development team that's an integrated unit that we can just bolt on. The early clinical assets didn't, didn't amount to much. And, and in fairness, um, neither were we willing to commit a lot of dollars to trying to resurrect them. We let the trials play out. They won, they lost, and we moved on, right? Um, so we did that, and so so we did a couple of other things. Um, so, for example, uh, from Celgene, we got this uh, gel clear product, which was uh, act two of the same scenario. It gave us a vehicle to build a commercial team ahead of the launch of Tarceva, um, and in order for us to exercise our co-promote rights with uh, Genentech in the U.S., we needed to have an established commercial organization. Ah, I see. And it didn't cost us much. It allowed us to do that. Both those uh, were useful. You know, they let us they let us establish capability, but more important than that, they let us have our co-promote rights in the U.S. Right, that and, seems huge. And, and, and that, that was a huge value to us. And... Uh, again, I think we built a very good uh, commercial organization under Gabe Leung and uh, Peter Milnick and uh, Yad then, uh, Nicole and uh, Bob Simon, the tower in the regulatory arena, um, and a really good uh, uh, development capability. And we built, we built a, pretty good, a pretty good machine there uh, for, in the end, not a lot of outlay the, the one that stands out, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that this was frowned on by the street, was iTech. Oh, frowned on? It was a, a massacre. Yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a massacre. There, there you go. And, and, you know, look, I think it, it was, it, it, it was um, it, it's an interesting journey. Uh, I think uh, undoubtedly we got it wrong. Uh, our analysis was, okay, we need to expand our R&D investment. Um, it's going to take a while for Tulsiva to ramp. We... Uh, we're looking for opportunities to buy revenue and mm-hmm. we're looking for opportunities to buy clinical pipeline because we didn't have uh, much of either to manage this bridge. Um, when, we, when we looked at iTech, uh, um, they, they were first to market. Right. Um, it was a decent product. Um, there were two things going on that we were looking at. Uh, and, and by the way, of course, the core science at a biological level was an area we'd been all over. Kinases we'd been all over. Yeah, so we, yeah. we felt we understood the science inside out and backwards. We didn't understand eye disease anywhere near as well as we did oncology, but we, we got a lot of input, a lot of advice. And our analysis came down to two things. The first was that, yes, Lucentis is coming along. Lucentis looks a good product. Um, apart from anything else, it's monthly versus six weeks, and, and that, may be, yeah. that may be an issue. And the other thing was that it was a year and a half away and people were starting to use a Vastin off-label in the eye. We thought 
that one, it was being illegally reformulated for that purpose. We thought that FDA would step in and slow that down and our analysis said we'd have enough window to create enough sales to protect enough share for the revenues to work, right? And we love the PDGF Aptiva as a pipeline asset behind that. Of course, we got it horribly wrong. Uh, the FDA didn't move. Avastin got widely used. It was Avastin that killed that product. Not Lucentis. Not, not Lucentis. Yeah. Lucentis, we always assumed would have become a market leader, but Avastin prevented us establishing a position pre, pre them. And, uh, you know, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so I think this... I, 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 for me personally, of course, it was a massacre. But... Um, and, and, you know, it is what it is. Um, I think when we look on that in hindsight, there was so much pressure from the street. The, the company felt built, beaten up. The oncology group wasn't, as a result of the outcome, enormously welcoming of all these assets. Yeah. The board just wanted out. Yeah. And who could blame them? Uh, we, we ended up having a few board changes out of that, which actually worked out just fine um, but more importantly w- we needed to navigate away away from that and I will say a uh, horrible deal obviously it wiped out a lot of value quickly uh, so correct me if I'm wrong here but I think I think iTech was bought for something like 935 million uh, yeah stock and cash together and, yeah. and, and uh, I think the bigger issue was we used a lot of our cash for stock was high so the stock was a currency that was okay and look, there's no. This this is this is uh, uh, this this is this is um, you know one of those things that you you do. It happens, and uh, 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 man, it, it it was ugly. Yeah, uh, and and then we. But so had, you sold it too. I mean, you eventually we, we sold spun that. We it back out for uh, for twenty two or something. Twenty two uh, million. Yeah, we just got out. That, that was just the product. Yeah, right. So the other thing we did was to um, actually spin out the PDGF Aptima. Um, and uh, for an equity position in Optitech, and of course that's now doing very, very well. Yeah. Um, which is perversely some kind of uh, uh, vindication on the one hand, and and you know, ah, if we'd have just kept it, right. had the the faith in the deal we did on the other. But there was no way I think that would have been an easy thing to do to develop that over oncology products, for example, yeah. after the yeah. deal. Um, and, you know, it's pleasing in a way we got it right. I'm very happy for David and the team that they're developing a great product that's coming along. So yeah. that's all good. But, uh, yeah, it was a blow. But, but you know, M&A is that. And, and I think one of the – I'll say a couple of things. One is I think um, as a manager uh, and leader, I suppose, I feel as I did some of my best work trying to put the company – back together after that huge blow to the company uh, huge blow to me I mean I would have been sort of uh, uh, viewed uh, 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 the golden child favorably yeah, until yeah, then and yeah. then you know that's okay that's uh, I think there is that truism and it is true you learn more from your big mistakes than you do from your big successes and I learned a lot we learned a lot we put the company back together and you know, we did okay ultimately, but That's also people forget in the mix of that we also did the other side of that, right? And um, you know, out of the UK, Anka Lundemose ran our diabetes unit over in Oxford, and he latched onto this thing, and we did a deal for um, the the DPP4 
patent rights from Pro Biodrug, East German-based company. I think we spent, oh my goodness, I think we spent 30 million on that deal. By the time the company has sold, we were up over 100 million in license revenues. I think uh, Astellas flipped it to one of the to Royalty Pharma for six, seven hundred million. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so swings and roundabouts, right? Yep. You know, and I think it, it's you'd you'd always take back the iTech deal if you could ever get. Of course you would, but this is life. That's exactly, um, exactly right. Yeah, and yeah. and and by the same token. Uh, under the cloud of that, nobody ever really valued the diabetes asset as well as they should have done. And I think, again, after the deal, it was vindicated more. Um, I think you started the conversation correctly. One of the hardest things to do is to build behind your lead asset yep. and when it becomes commercial. And you need this sort of second success story to come in your first or second asset after your lead asset. Um, and that's hard. That's, yeah. that's hard and, and I'm still, it's still a, a, a really interesting challenge for the next generations of companies because um, the, the street rightly recognizes it's very, very hard and would like to get paid for the first success fully. Yeah. Um, you know, frankly, I think that ultimately worked out okay in OSI's uh, case. We sold for four billion. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I, I, uh, and, and it's hard to think about a company being started, spun out of university, and whatever, fifteen years later, being sold for four billion, and not consider that a tremendous success. I mean, that's what that is. And uh, and, and and you know, it was it was a great experience too, because uh, hidden amongst all of that is the fact we've got a great team. Um, there was a great culture there. Um, there was, I think, you know, it's one of those bittersweet moments, right? The number of times I've heard we didn't realize how good we had at OSI until OSI wasn't there from yeah. former employees and everything yeah. else. Um, so there was a lot of good and there was, a, I think, a true spirit of wanting to make an impact uh, for patients um, in that company. And, you know, Bob Ingram, our chairman, is fond of saying... Um, you know, one of the great things about this industry is you can do uh, you can do well by doing good, and uh, I, I I take that as a mantra. I, I really believe that. Um, and you know, uh, we are. I think I'm right in saying one of the few biotech companies who sold for appreciably more than the total capital raised. I think we raised 1.5, 1.6 million uh, billion mm-hmm. over the years and sold for four. Yeah. Um, it's hard. This is a tough industry. It's a tough business. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, it was, it was, it was um, act two of the reluctant bride in terms of, uh, of Estellas. They wanted it. Uh, they got it. They got it for, uh, and I think to see the feel the need they had for it. So, um, to some degree, it's it's a win-win, but it's still the other side of the financial piece. Is if you spent, um, you know, I've got 25 years at the company by the time it was sold, and if you spent that length of time committing to building that company, you know, and to see it sort of unravelled is 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 painful. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's it, it is what it is, but that's okay. Life moves on. Yeah, that's how yeah. biotech goes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, just briefly on Estellas, uh, you know, they came in, made an offer. Was that unsolicited? 
Oh, yes. They just came uh, well, in and no, said... No, they, 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 they were, there was a patient... I mean, it's sort of a lot of it's confidential, but, but uh, a lot of it was sort of mapped out in the in the disclosures as well. Yeah, they tried to, to, to see if we were, were open to being bought. Um, they tabled offers that we thought were too you, low. You, yeah, you pushed um, them away. There was, was ever a white knight come in there? Did Roche make a bid? Well, so... Um, uh, we... we Talk to everybody. Obviously, once they went over public and hostile with it, um, you've got two factors working against you there, or we have working against us there. One is um, they they put a hell of an offer on the table. I mean, this was was a very very significant premium. Of course, what's wasn't what's very interesting about the dynamics of a situation like that is what happens to your shareholder base, because to a large extent, when an offer's that good. If you're a long-term holder, all right, I'm going to flip my stock. The deal doesn't come through. It'll come down. I can buy back in, and I'm ahead. Yeah, yep. um, and you get all the arbitrage folks come in. So there's a, a Wall Street dynamic that's kind of interesting uh, and educational. Um, and then there's the the uh, simple reality that if there's, if there's that good a bid on the table, um, who wants to step in front of that yeah. and, and likely have the other person outbid them again? Yeah. Um, we had a lot of good meetings. Um, I think it helped us protect the price we ultimately got and help us have the confidence to stay tough until that last uh, little bit uh, uh, that we eked out uh, to get the final deal. That's like um, a 55% premium or something. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. hard to argue that $4 billion for the company um, was anything other than a great deal for shareholders. Um, and I was... As I say, I mean, look, hey, when you've been doing it that long, it's a there's a bit of sweet piece to it, but I I am I really think it was a good outcome for shareholders. I was pleased that we'd been able to rescue that amount of value from the debris of the iTech situation yeah, just yeah. a few years before. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then, so then, what happens to you after that? So well, well, uh, first thing was uh, you know uh, we took a little bit of downtime. And this is 2010. This right? is 2010, uh, May 2010, and I actually uh, uh, I, I, a hostile proce- uh, hostile process is a grueling one yeah. uh, uh, for the, the uh, for everyone involved, but particularly for the defence team. Um, I mean, I just want to take a break. So, just so happened, going back to the very beginning, that uh, my wife has become an ultra marathoner. And she'd entered really? the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, which is this crazy 56 miles run. They're not 100. They're 50-something? Oh, she's 56 was the uh, – she's run 100 miles. That, well. is, the that is incredible. Oh, well, yeah, she's trying to get away from me. Long way to run. A long way to run. But also, you know, I was very enthusiastic about going to support her in South Africa because the World Cup was on at the same time. Right. So yeah. I got to see uh, South Africa, Mexico in the opening game. Oh, that's I got great. to see – uh, England, USA, and Rustenburg. So, so a little bit of downtime, and then, and then, really, you know, what do I want to do? And I think, uh, with as many misstarts um, as as good starts, I'm now four years, five years on, getting to where I want to be, which is a, 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 being involved in young companies um, with good technology. Um, working sometimes closely with the management team, sometimes in an exec chair or a CEO role. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on one public company board because I think it's good to stay on a public company board and it, it's Endosite. Uh, I think they're a oh, yeah. great little company, good people. Uh, Corfiron is the, 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 the one I've spent a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. 
very... Uh, also on Long Island. Yep. Uh, very challenging technology. Um, very exciting technology. Big, big idea. Um, and I th hopefully we can, we can solve that uh, as we go forward. And a bunch of others as well. There's like about five or six uh, things at any one time. But do, do you think that you ever want to do, you know, the hardcore, I'm running a company like you do with OSI again? I, I, in fairness, I think if the perfect scenario came across the transom, I'd absolutely be open to thinking about it and looking about it and looking looking at it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it would have to fit me and uh, the situation Your family very yeah. well. Um, Family-wise, it's okay. The kids are old enough now that I've ah. actually got the flexibility to do that if I want to. Um, but but I don't feel the need to do that. I don't feel as though I need to prove anything to anybody or whatever. Do it again. Yeah, yeah. Do it again. And so um, you have two kids? Three kids. Three, three kids. Girls. Ah, okay. Yep, yep. Oh, three girls. Yep, yep. And, and your wife, yep. you have your hands full. Uh, yeah, well, it just, uh, like, you know, it's uh, mom, daughter, 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 and then some went down the bottom of you. the totem pole with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for me. Yeah. Um, I, want, I want to ask you this. So it, it sounds like after this talk that, that your biggest professional regret sounds like iTech, I would say, the decision to buy that. Yeah, for sure. Biggest disappointment, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I sometimes wonder whether we should have been bolder and gone, gone it alone in the U.S. with Tarsiva, um rather than partnering with Genentech. Yeah. Um, that's not to decry Genentech at all. They're a fantastic company, obviously. Um, but, of course, uh, uh, you know, that... that that revenue stream in full would have been would have been something very yeah. impactful and yeah. arguably would have protected us from the need to feel we had to do yeah. a, a, a an tech type deal. Um, but of course, that would be the biggest disappointment. I, I, I think um, the the biggest satisfaction is uh, having the privilege, and really is a privilege, to have been, you know, in the Pfizer research meetings talking about whether we should screen. Um, uh, for EGFR inhibitors and, you know, running the group that ran the screening programs all the way through to being the CEO of a, a, of, of the, a company that had the product as it became uh, yep. a billion-dollar product. Yep, yep. Um, many, many people in industry go through careers and don't, don't have that experience. Yep. Uh, so I feel incredibly privileged uh, to have done that. And I also think it's it's... You know, it's a great industry for meeting smart, capable, bright, good people who um, I think, if not uniformly, very close, uh, very closely there to uh, believe uh, in, in the ability of the industry to do good. And then one, one final thing. So when you do retire someday, mm -hmm. do you think you're going to move back to the UK or, or you're, you're going to be in... Well, uh, uh, good question. I mean, I think we kind of like Florida for now. I don't, I don't know uh, where we'll think about in five, ten years. Uh, look, we've got one daughter in California, one in the UK, and one who's a show jumper all over the world, but currently Holland. So, huh. you know, um, whether that's good parenting and independent kids, <laughs> yeah, or, right. you know, if we move back to the UK, they move again. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we're, 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 I think... Um, um, who knows? The U.S. has done a fantastic thing for us. We're both citizens. Oh, and sure. It's yeah. been Your kids were born here. All born here. Yeah, all yeah. reigns here. And for me, you know, I guess the other way you could look at it is I've had the good fortune to live the proverbial American dream. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate the time. Thank you. A lot of fun.
Uh, a big thank you to Colin Goddard for taking the time and coming into the studio. I really appreciate it. Thanks, as always, to the Midwest Quiet for letting us use their music for these podcasts. You can find these podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you pick up your podcasts from. They are also housed on our podcast homepage, which you can find on the Nature Biotech homepage, including our full archives. Okay, so that is Bill Hazeltine, that is Una Ryan, that is, uh, we just had Kari Stephenson for an interesting podcast. Carl Feldbaum, right before him, he had this great story about prosecuting Watergate. They're all free, and you can find them in the archives. Listen if you'd like to. Who's next? I actually don't want to say, because what if, what if uh, the schedules don't align and it doesn't work out? But there will be another one coming. If you have comments on these podcasts or anything else, reach us on Twitter. The handle is at Nature Biotech. And that is all. I'm Brady Huggett. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.